This morning, our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13, and it's entitled The Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how are we? Good? It is good to be together. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors and leaders of our church family. I serve our church as the pastor of Teaching and Vision, and so it's a joy to jump in uh, this morning. Another announcement, and we thought this would be a good one to have me give, because just in the event that someone's not here and they listen to our teaching uh, from this morning through our uh, weekly podcast, just so you might not be aware that all of our teachings we do record, and all of our teachings are available on iTunes, Google Play, um, and so you can listen and catch up to our messages that are all online, so feel free to do that. Uh, But next Sunday, our meeting location here is being affected. Uh, You are maybe aware of some strikes that are going to be going on within the school board in Ontario, and so as a result, our meeting space here is going to be affected in some way. Uh, We are still working on some details, whether or not we will be at a secondary, another location where um, they use external custodial staff, or uh, if we'll have a service at all. So um, if you have not filled out a connection card, This is another push for you to do that. Fill out a connection card so that then we can get your email address, put you in our database and our system, and then we'll be sending a couple of emails probably this week just letting everybody know where we're going to be. You can also find us on social media. Um, Instagram is churchofthe.city. Um, You can find us on Instagram for that detail. Uh, But as I said, we'll have lots of things coming out this week, hopefully to let you know what's going to be happening next Sunday. But this is an awesome opportunity for us as a church to come together. Um, We are obviously a portable church environment, and we appreciate that in many ways because it reminds us that the church is not a place, the church is a group of people. And so uh, while there are sometimes inconveniences like this where spaces become unavailable, uh, this is an opportunity for us to come together as a church, we're reminded yet again of that the church is a group of people, it's not a place, and we'll try to figure things out for next Sunday, or we'll just be super creative and do something altogether different. But we will let you know, but just be prepared, we will not be here next Sunday unless the strike things get resolved, then we will be here. But we'll let you know anyways. Make sense? Yes, okay, makes sense, yes, okay, very good. Well, before we uh, begin, before we jump into this morning's teaching, why don't you take a moment to quiet yourself, pause. Um, You know, I'm a person that uh, subconsciously at times, I live in the reality that I don't want God uh, to actually control my life because I'd rather be the one in control or be, you know, the one in power all about my life. And so what I've been learning to do is to actually invite Jesus into how I'm feeling so that he can change the way that I'm feeling so that I can change the way that I'm living. And so why don't you take this pause moment right now, and this might be for you, hey God, 
help me listen to you today. I want to actually listen, and I'm feeling a bit defensive with whatever might be coming. So, Jesus, I invite you into my defensiveness, or Jesus, I invite you into my worry or anxiety, or Jesus, I invite you into my joy. Maybe you're feeling joyful right now. I invite you into my joy. Lead me in my joy. So whatever that might be, take a moment to pause, and then we'll continue with this morning's teaching. And so, Jesus, we do invite you. This is an amazing opportunity that we do have to come together to look at your word given to us and today to focus on the words of you, Jesus, to us, directing us. So may we be receptive, may we be attentive, and may our hearts grow more dependent and may our lives then become more dependent on you for all that we need and all that we are. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, uh, at the beginning of September, we started our vision series. And some of you know this. Some of you, this will be a summary and has been a summary or a reminder of who we are as the church and why we do what we do. As I claimed at the very beginning, if we can forget why we became parents in the first place, why we got involved in our jobs in the first place, we can certainly forget as a church family why we exist in the very first place and why we continue to meet together, why some of us are involved in missional communities, why we keep talking about those things. All of us can forget why we actually are the church and why we're doing what we're doing. And in the first week, I taught about the power and the motivation of the gospel, that because God has come to rescue and renew creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that that changes the way that we see the world, it changes the way that we understand the world, it changes our relationship with God, and then it ought to then change and motivate us to be involved with one another and then involved with the world that is around us. That was, that was message number one. And then over the last three weeks. If you were here last week, I dressed up in a dinosaur, Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. You maybe remember that. You're maybe forgetting why did he do that in the first place. Uh, but the point of last week was to talk about our identity as disciples of Jesus, learners, apprentices. And over the, then, over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about our identity. That first, as a people, we need to figure out who God is, then learn what God has done, which then leads us to understand who we are. So if we, as God's people, the church, want to figure out what we ought to then go and do in this world or how we ought to relate to one another or if we're called to actually love one another, we need to be reminded why that is the case. And so we've been going through, as many of you are familiar with this, if you're new to our church family, this is why we do what we do. This is why we live out life together on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, oftentimes in missional communities, that who God is as our Father, that he adopts us as his children, which means that we are family. And as family, we love and we serve one another. We then learn that because God is the Holy Spirit, he then enables us with love and power to be witnesses of the gospel, which means then we are sent as missionaries into the world to share the gospel in both word and deed. And then last week, Jesus the Son, he came to us as the right image of God, leads us to become the same, which means that you and I are disciples 
and who are to follow and obey and invite others to also learn from Jesus. That is, we are growing as learners and apprentices that we ought to go tell everyone else. So if you ask the question, well, who is the church or what is the church? We answer that question here within our church family of saying the church is a family of missionary disciples. Very simple. The church is a family of missionary disciples who love one another, share the gospel, are following Jesus. That's who the church is, and then we work out how we're going to do that together. Now, as we've talked about all of these things, we now arrive at this particular Sunday, and we ask the question, well, okay, if we, if we just do all of this perfectly, if we understand our identity and we begin to go love one another, share the gospel, follow Jesus, obey him, are we all done? Is that all we need to do? Is that the end? Probably not. Right? And that's what today is all about. Thank you for engaging. Yes, probably not. A couple of verses come to mind when I think about this question. John 15, verse 5. Jesus says this, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Scary reality, this next part. What does he say? For apart from me... You can do nothing. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Interesting, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know, I I completely believe that you can build a church and a church can grow and it won't be dependent on God. And it won't be built by God. I mean, there are false teachers. There are teach, te- churches that teach false and wrong things, and they grow. There are cults that grow. There are different sects, S-E-C-T-S, of people that are doing different things, and they grow. It is completely possible. Maybe you've never heard it thought about this before. It is completely possible for things that say they're about God to grow apart from God. So what is the nothing that Jesus is referring to here when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? And it's the fact that these could be things that will have no eternal value. And so we can understand our identity. We can live in light of that identity. But what's the next step? And I believe the next step is that we need to grow in our dependence on God. This from a podcast called This Cultural Moment. The person speaking at the time is a guy by the name of Pete Hughes. He says this, We've come to the end of our rope and realized we don't have what it takes. However good our thinking about culture engagement is, however good our communication is, however good our spiritual formation and leadership development programs are, it won't be enough. All that stuff is important, but it won't be enough. The future isn't being smarter or being more strategic. The future is humility, weakness, and prayer. Getting on our knees to ask God to move in power, to see something remarkable take place that is beyond what we could ever do. You see what he's saying? He says, you can have all of the best plans. You can have all of the best communicators. You can have all of the best program designers and developers. But apart from God... As Jesus says, you can do nothing. So what must you do? Grow in humility, grow in dependence. 
This from Richard Loveless in his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life. There is an indissoluble reinforcing connection between mission and dependent prayer. Those who realistically face the demanding task of local mission are immediately driven to prayer by the magnitude of work confronting them. Those who are praying about the needs surrounding them in the world are awakened to the greatness of those needs and the opportunity for the church to meet them. Both of these people, Pete and Richard, point us to the reality that as the church, we must grow in our dependence. And they also answer that question in how you do that in suggesting prayer. That prayer both expresses and it deepens our dependence on God. That's an interesting thing about prayer, isn't it? That when you pray, you are expressing that I need something, I need someone beyond myself. So you're expressing that you need to grow, that you must be dependent on God. That's maybe the reason for why you pray. But then at the same time, prayer also does something else and that it deepens your dependence on God. As you begin to pray about the world around you, as you begin to see the world as God sees it, you begin to realize and say, I need to grow and I am going to grow through prayer. That prayer both expresses dependence and deepens dependence on God. Now, as we begin to talk about prayer... Uh, there are maybe a few different reactions in the room when it comes to prayer. One of them is guilt. If you are a follower of Jesus, you likely know that you ought to pray, right? I mean, that's, no, that's not a, can probably a confusing or like, whoa, really? Like, no, like followers of Jesus are people that talk to Jesus. <laughs> like, they pray. So immediately across the room, some people are feeling like guilt, like, oh no, I don't pray and I don't pray enough. And you're using like this arbitrary line maybe in your head of like, what is enough prayer? What would the person beside me say is enough prayer? How about the person like then beside them? Or how about the person on the other side of the room? How much prayer is like enough prayer, right? Maybe you wrestle with that question because you're a type A person. You're like, would I be like, would God like me a little bit more if I prayed more often than I currently do? Remember the gospel, friends, that he loves you regardless. But you're trying to figure that out. So maybe in some ways you respond with a little bit of guilt. There's then others of us that we respond to a prayer series and we're like, finally. You're you're a person that you do engage deeply in prayer. And you understand the value. You understand that your own dependence on God has been deepened because you've been praying. And so you're saying, hey, this is good. We're going to be focusing on prayer. This is a good thing. Then there's others of us that are maybe confused by prayer. You're like, okay, um... Why do we need to pray? Should we pray? What do I pray? How do I pray? Like for those who have tried to instruct little kids on the topic of prayer, how to pray, they always ask, well, what do I say? Like, how do I talk to God? And then there's the reality of like, if God is all powerful and then if he's also all knowing, why do I need to pray in the first place? Like, does God actually hear my prayer and does prayer actually do anything? Does it work? If the purpose of prayer is just to get God to do what we want him to do. So then that all changes things in the way we think about it. Yet what I want for us to understand is, as we transition here, that Jesus gives us instructions on how to pray. And he tells us why prayer is important. And he does this in the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's where I'd like to start today, Matthew 6, verses 5 to 13. We're going to start there today. And you might be saying, hey, I thought Teach Us to Pray was going to start on October 13th. 
that's sort of true, but then I got too excited about the prayer series and then started doing some research and realized, oh my goodness, there's far more that probably I can say that I think should be said before we start with like week one next week. And so this is like a summary overview of the Lord's Prayer, and then next week we'll jump into our Father in Heaven, which however way we'll do that because of obviously our space challenge for next week. But here is going to be an introductory message to teach us to pray. Uh, if you know somebody that's not here, encourage them to listen to the podcast before we jump into our Father in Heaven next week. So, Matthew 6, verses 5 to 13. We're going to go through this line by line. I'll obviously make, hopefully, what are some helpful comments. Jesus says, remember, this is part of his body of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, point number one, Jesus assumes prayer. I think that's worth mentioning. And when you pray, right? Jesus is, again, this is a body of teaching. Jesus, right off the bat, assumes that the Jews that are there, others, maybe some Gentiles, are going to pray. And so he starts with, and when you pray. It's like when he'll say at other times, and when you fast. Like he assumes that disciples, that learners, that apprentices of him are both a praying people and a fasting people. So he assumes that we're praying, okay? So he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So number one, Jesus assumes prayer. He assumes that we're praying. But then secondly, what we can understand, if Jesus put this and included this in his body of teaching, that Jesus also cares about the details of prayer, both the how and the what. And then this is encouraging if you've ever asked the how or what of prayer. Jesus cares about the details of prayer. He cares about the how you pray, and he cares about the what, the importance of it. And that's what he's exemplifying here by teaching on prayer. The first group that he speaks to, so now he's going to be a bit corrective in his teaching. The first group he calls out are the religious. They're those, as he said, that go into the street corners and pray aloud for everybody to hear. He's pointing them out and saying that they're missing the point of prayer. What point are they missing? Well, for Jesus, prayer is to be personal, relational, and discreet. He asks the question, well, why? Because prayer is about connecting with your Heavenly Father. Prayer isn't about becoming more important or to look good to other people. You know, when I was in youth group, I was like the youth group kid that was always asked to pray. And um, at the time, I was a self-righteous, type one prick, judgmental, religious, exactly what Jesus is describing here. I'll just like admit that to you. And people ask me to pray because they're like, well, Matt's good at it. But if you talk to me at the time of what my personal prayer life was like, I had a very weak personal prayer life. Why? Because other people aren't looking at me and saying, way to go. But the point of prayer is not so other people look at you and say, way to go. The purpose and importance of prayer, as Jesus is indicating here, is for you to grow in your relationship with the Father. And what do you get when you pray? The Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. That's the primary thing that you ought to receive is deepening your dependence on God, on on your Heavenly Father. So he says, that doesn't mean we can't pray in public, but he says if that's the only place you're praying, you ought to consider your motivations and go to a secret place and pray because there your Heavenly Father is. 
So he challenges those of us in this room that, if we're honest, the only time we pray is in our missional community or on Sunday mornings or other times. He says, no, your personal prayer life ought to begin in the quiet, in the secret place. He's then going to go on to address a second group of people. This is where he goes in verse 7. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Some of your translations might say pagans. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. A couple of comments. One, pagan or Gentile, Jesus is speaking of anybody who is not a Jew. And at the time, you can study in ancient literature, the Greeks and the Romans had these prayers, and they were extremely long and extremely boring. And the reason that these these, uh, people prayed in such long ways is because they were trying to impress their gods. They're saying, we don't know how our gods think about us. We don't know how our gods, if they even approve of us. So what we'll do is we will impress them by talking a lot. And by reciting these long, long prayers. And so when Jesus, he's about to teach us the Lord's Prayer, as many of us are familiar with it. But here he begins by saying that for Jesus, prayer can be, be, actually can be concise because the Father actually knows your needs. He is different than the gods, little g gods, and that you're thinking that you need to impress them and make them aware of what's going on. He's saying, no, your father in heaven, you can be concise, that there can be brevity in prayer because your father in heaven already knows your needs, so you don't need to go on and on and on and on and on and try to impress him. Now, some of us might then say, well, why do I need to pray if he already knows? And for Jesus, that's the very reason why you ought to pray. You ought to pray because he already knows your needs. I'm a father of two boys, and uh, they're pretty predictable uh, most of the time, um, unless there's a tantrum. Those are oftentimes not predictable. But then when, you do ha- when they do happen, you're kind of like, okay, there was sugar. There was a, like yesterday at the end of the night, there was a sugar. There was a, there was a birthday party. You know, you're like, okay, so this was somewhat predictable. But generally, little kids are fairly predictable. I mean, you as a parent sort of know your kids' needs. You know when they might, you know, freak out. But you also know the things that they probably want. And my son Nixon right now is huge into Lego. Now, because I know that, that's great. But does that mean that I never want him to actually talk to me or to ask? No, because when he does, it expresses, I want relationship. And I love it. I'm like, talk to me. As a parent, you understand this. You want your kids to talk to you. And so it's the same with prayer, according to Jesus, that actually the fact that he knows our needs actually ought to drive us to our knees. To our knees. That makes sense. Because he knows our needs, it ought to drive us to our knees. So, there you go. Then Jesus goes on. So now that he's taken care of the hypocrite, religious folk, me, and then he's gone on and he's talked to the Gentiles or those that are heaping up empty words to try to appease the gods, he goes on and instructs us on how to pray. So pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A couple of introductory comments. Uh, Surprise, surprise, this is the Lord's Prayer. And for some of us, this prayer has become so familiar that we're like, why are you reciting the Lord's Prayer? A little bit of a point. 
Because it's become familiar does not express the problem with the prayer. It ought to expose the problem in us. The second question we then need to ask is, does Jesus actually mean it when he says, when you pray, pray like this? That's an interesting point to make, right? Some of us think of like, the Lord's Prayer ought to be still prayed in schools. Valuable, sure. Do you pray the Lord's Prayer on your own? Because Jesus says here, when you pray, pray then like this. Now, I don't believe Jesus is saying you never ought to pray in public, in corporate settings, or having spontaneous prayer. But he seems to be directing us in how we ought to pray and what we ought to be praying about. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. So that question is an important one to answer. Did Jesus actually mean it when he said, when you pray, pray like this? And if he's truthful about that and did actually mean it, then we ought to understand a bit more deeply why the Lord's Prayer and why ought we to focus on it. Now, N.T. Wright says this about the Lord's Prayer. N.T. Wright's a New Testament scholar and the importance of it and what he's actually expressing in this song or poem. says this, The Lord's Prayer is Jesus' own creative and kingdom-focused fusion of many Jewish prayer ideas. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus' own creative and kingdom-focused fusion on many Jewish prayer ideas. Now you might be saying, Jewish prayer ideas, what are you talking about? Well, here are some Jewish prayers. I reached out to my uh, Jewish friend and I said, could you tell me a couple of these different prayers? And the first Jewish prayer I want us to look at, just so you can see the familiarity and the similarities between parts of the Lord's Prayer and Jewish prayer ideas. The first prayer we're going to look at is the Kaddish. Uh, We're officially going to look at the half Kaddish. So as you can see, there's leader and then there's all. I want you all to read the all. I will read the leader. Make sense? Okay, so here we go. Here's the half Kaddish, leader. Magnified and sanctified, may his great name be in the world he created by his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of all the house of Israel swiftly and soon and say, amen. Let's read together. May his great name be blessed forever and all time. Blessed and praised, glorified and exalted, raised and honored, uplifted and lauded by the name of the Holy One. Blessed be he beyond any blessing, song, praise, and consolation. Utter in the world and say, Amen. Now, there's some similarities there to the first part of the Lord's Prayer, isn't there? So Jesus, again, he's teaching. It's primarily a Jewish audience. And he's instructing them of what's going on with the Lord's Prayer. Now remember, it's a kingdom-focused fusion of many prayer ideas, because for Jesus, he changes everything. But here he starts with the half Kaddish. Okay, now the Kaddish is oftentimes used in gatherings, uh, in the synagogue, oftentimes around celebrations. Okay, so there's the half Kaddish. But there was another Jewish prayer that was actually prayed, as we look at history, prayed three times a day. It's called the Jewish or the Hebrew Shema. And let's look at the Shema now. So, the following verse should be said aloud while covering the eyes with the right hand. So, uh, because all of us here are maybe not familiar or have this memorized, you don't have to cover it with your eyes with your right hand. But what we are going to do is we are going to say it all together. And you're also going to follow the instruction of quietly. Okay? So, uh, uh, you don't, I said, have to cover your eyes unless you know this by heart. 
Uh, it's from Deuteronomy 6, but let's do this and say this together, and then quietly remember you're going to lower your voice. That's what quietly means, okay? So let's say this together. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them repeatedly to your children, speaking them when you sit at home and when you travel on the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be an emblem between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and gates. So once again, this is the Hebrew Shema, a prayer that the Jews of Jesus' time would have prayed when they woke, when they went to sleep, and in the afternoon. Beautiful. Okay, so there's a repetitious discipline of prayer. We'll get back to the Shema and why this is significant. But in order to understand the significance of what Jesus is doing here, if you do have your Bibles, go with me to Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. This will be, as some of us are familiar, another time that Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. So Luke 11, 1 to 4. We read this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, right? So Jesus is praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Okay, so some of us are who are the detailed ones are like, okay, this one's a little bit different than Matthew's. What's going on? Now, at the time, Jesus is a rabbi, and he's going about different parts. He's traveling, and he's teaching different people but he's also teaching, he's not teaching different people different things. He's teaching people similar things. He's got a body of teaching as a leader, it's not, as a teacher. It's not like he's arriving in a different city and suddenly coming up with a whole new thing. He's got the same body of teaching. So it really shouldn't bother us too much that this prayer is slightly different because what? It focuses on the similar themes as the version in Matthew does. And Jesus here has likely gone out and he's prayed in his afternoon prayer and the disciples are now coming to him and saying, Jesus... Teach us to pray. They see him praying. They want to learn how he prays. So here's another thing that we can probably realize about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus probably used it in his prayer life. Like, think about this. Have you ever thought about it that way? That, okay, Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Then that's just for us. No, Jesus probably prayed this prayer himself. And so when the disciples come to him and say, we've just seen you praying, teach us how to pray, Jesus. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. So, what is Jesus doing in the Lord's Prayer? We also have, we already have N.T. Wright's uh, instruction on what he's doing. Here's that, what N.T. Wright says in a different way. Well, Jesus re-envisions Jewish prayer in light of his coming and his kingdom. 
Jesus re-envisions Jewish prayer in light of his coming and kingdom. Jesus ultimately, he's expressing a new song or a new poem. Some people have said that this is Jesus' creed for his life and his ministry. He's saying, look, I have come. I am the Messiah, and this is now how we ought to pray. Uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, um, he has a couple of different podcasts out. Exploring My Strange Bible is one. He also has another one that's the Bible Project's um, actual podcast. It's brilliant. It goes deeper into some of their animated videos. But Tim Mackey talks a lot about our understanding of heaven and earth. And you can put up the first slide here, Jeff. Many of us, when we think about heaven and earth, we think about heaven as being completely separate from earth. We think of heaven as being the future age, and then we think of earth as the present age. And what Tim is quick to help us understand, as Jesus understood, is that heaven and earth in Jesus are actually overlapping. You've maybe heard Jesus say, or the words of Jesus, that he says the kingdom of God is both now and it is to come. That when you come to know Jesus, you live in light of the fact that you are part of God's kingdom, desiring his kingdom to flourish on the earth, but you also live on this earth. And so it's the overlapping of heaven and earth. So when Jesus comes, he introduces us, he's pronouncing his kingdom, his euangelion, the gospel, the good news, and now he's saying, here is how you ought to pray the overlapping of heaven and earth earth. And as I said, this would have been how Jesus probably would have prayed. And this is also how Jesus' disciples were to pray as they relate to God moving forward. That there is to be a creed of Jesus' life and ministry that this prayer ought to be thought of in that way. Secondly, what is Jesus doing with the Lord's Prayer? Jesus is providing a repetitious and habitual prayer to be prayed by his disciples and followers. So when the disciples come to Jesus and say, how ought we to pray? They understood as Jews the Shema. Jesus now says, here's this new prayer. This is how you ought to pray. And so followers of Jesus were being introduced to, rather than praying the Shema three times a day, once you come to know me and my kingdom, you ought to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Now, some historical proof of why this is the case. When you first heard the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, you might have said, Where in the world is for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever? Amen. Right? How many of you are bothered by that? You can raise your... Okay, so a couple of us were bothered. I'm glad we weren't all bothered. Um, but you've got to wonder, like, where did that come from? Now, that came because if we look at church history... That was likely an addition that the church made because the church actually began using it in their worship services. And that's not a bad thing. Like, if you were to say, should we use it or not? Like, it's fine to use it. It's a, it's a nice way of completing the prayer. And so what we can understand then from church history is that this, church, this prayer was then adapted for use in church gatherings. And so Jesus is providing for us a repetitious and his habitual prayer that we ought to pray as well. Third, thirdly, this is an amazing detail about the Lord's Prayer, again from Mr. Tim Mackey. Jesus creatively embeds the great commandment into prayer form. Uh, you can go to Matthew 22 if you want, verses 34 to 40, but at the time, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they try to test him, and they ask him what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Notice that that is also the Shema prayer. But then he says, you must also love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You must do for your neighbor what you would want to be done to you. And so he asked Jesus, well, what's the greatest commandment? He says, both. 
It's not one or the other. Both. Love God, love others. It's one greatest commandment. Love God, love others. Have you ever considered the layout of the Lord's Prayer? If you haven't, check this out. I have it broken down for us on the screen. That the first half of the prayer expresses love for God. It's orienting ourselves to the Father and his priorities. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This third column focuses on the priorities that Jesus is expressing and showing to us about what to be the priorities of our own prayer life, our own adoption as his sons and daughters, that we ought to worship who God is, that we ought to start our prayers understanding who we are praying to and that his name ought to be worshipped. There's no other one like him. Your kingdom come is a, is a prayer of evangelism. God, we want your kingdom to come on earth then as it is in heaven. We want mercy and justice to break out. And then once we've understood how we ought to love God and orient ourselves to God and to his priorities, we can then turn and looking at how can we can actually love others. Notice when he says, give us this day our daily bread, you are immediately, you immediately think about, well, I have my daily bread, but notice what he says, give us this day our daily bread. That again, once you focus on God and his priorities, you look at yourself and say, what about the others around me? Do they have what they need as far as daily bread? And it will lead you to a life of generosity, contentment, and simplicity. Or how about forgiving us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors, a prayer of forgiveness that... Jesus will go on to say, if you go on past verse 13 of, of Matthew 6 that we just looked at, that Jesus obviously understands how that forgiveness thing is going to throw people for a loop. And he connects how we forgive people to our own forgiveness before the Father. That in order for you to truly understand the depth of God's forgiveness towards you, that you will then also be a person that expresses that forgiveness to others who have wronged you. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil a prayer of ultimately about deliverance and spiritual warfare. Isn't Jesus smart? <laughs> Isn't Jesus brilliant? You're like, okay, Jesus, like, you re-envision the Shema into, into light of, like, now the fact that you've come, you've given us habitual way to pray, morning, afternoon, and evening. Oh, and you've also looped the great commandment into the prayer as well. Incredible! Smile or something. Like, isn't this amazing? Like, this is brilliant. Jesus is amazing! And when you pray, pray like this. And finally, what else does Jesus do in the Lord's Prayer? Well, Jesus communicates the gospel, which to remind ourselves is that God has come to rescue and renew creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. The Lord's Prayer communicates the gospel. It reminds us of who the Father is. To think about how holy he is. That you're not like anyone else. Yet you love me. You've forgiven me. I can now learn to love and forgive other people. I can, I can become a generous person. You can't pray the Lord's Prayer without beginning to actually consider the great good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that his kingdom ought to expand across this earth. And that his priorities become our priorities. This overlapping, you can put the next slide up, Jeff. We see the overlapping that Jesus in the cross, that this Lord's Prayer expresses and communicates the gospel. And then what we want to do is become gospel people that go to our world and bring the good news to others. 
So here's the challenge, okay? We are starting uh, the details of the prayer, likely next week, depending on our space situation, but we'll still figure, I'll still figure out a way to do the teaching um, some way next week. But we're going to begin looking at, each week, the different section of the prayer and why it was so important that Jesus actually taught it. For example, you start with our Father in heaven. Do you think of God as a father? Now, I know four weeks ago we focused on the fact that we've been adopted. But think about the way that maybe your friends or coworkers think of God. And Jesus starts the prayer. He wants us to be reminded of who our God is. He's a father. Our father in heaven. Because we can so quickly forget who God is. And so here's a challenge. I would like to challenge us all to begin praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Uh, many of us have smartphones, uh, means they're smart, and what they are able to do, if you ask it to, sometimes they must be doing things we don't ask them to do, but they are oftentimes willing to do things that we ask them to do. Uh, they don't go on strike. And so what you're able to do with your phone is set an alarm for when you wake up, for the middle of the day, and for when you go to bed. I would challenge you to do that. Set an alarm on your phone for in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening before you go to bed. And three times a day, begin praying the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is oftentimes, uh, it's valuable when it's disrupting the rest of your life. Because if you're sitting there at work and someone's bothering you, and you have to pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, Oh my goodness, God, what are you doing here with me and this person? Right? And it's an interruption. Uh, when I was in Lebanon, um, I was there with Bashara, who we support as a missionary in Lebanon, and we pulled up to this parking, um, this parking lot, and in order to get in, we had to pay somebody. I'm not, I, meant, I was going to say obviously, but you don't know that because you weren't there. But we pulled up, and there's a parking lot, and there's a person in a stall, and it was a Muslim uh, individual, a Muslim man, who was doing his prayer. That was an interruption to me. It was likely an interruption to him as well. But we sat in the car and we waited until he finished his prayer. Prayer is an opportunity for us to connect with God. And what Jesus intends for this prayer is that as you recite this Jesus creed of his ministry, that it would then begin to change you and that it would deepen your dependence on God. And that's my prayer for our church as we go through this Teach Us to Prayer series, that we would become increasingly dependent on God. Richard Lovelace, once more, the establishment of the kingdom of God is an elusive task. We cannot even see what it involves in our vicinity without the spectacles of faith imparted through prayer. And we will find ourselves with little urgency to carry it out unless we are praying. We are going to take communion this morning. This is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded what God has done for us in Christ. And it's an opportunity for us to be reminded that we've been invited into relationship, and that as we've been invited into relationship, that this relational God, who we now have relationship with, wants to speak to us and wants us to speak to him. And so I think there's no greater response to this first message around, hey, how are we doing with prayer? Let's lean into prayer, and here's a way that Jesus instructs us on how to pray. No greater way to start this series than with communion. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you to take communion with us. Um, there is going to be the bread and there's going to be the cup. They'll be passed out to you. Hold them. After our next song, I'll come back up and we'll all take them together. Let's pray. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.